WDEV in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. This is our Friday show. Thanks for joining us. It's December 29th, and we're on the brink of a new year. The Christmas holidays in the rearview mirror. We hope everyone had a good Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, and a holiday. Whoever you are and wherever, whether you do or don't celebrate, today on the show, the year in review, the top stories, the highlights, the lowlights, and the in-between, that's in the first hour. And in uh, at 10 o'clock, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. and talk to Bob Nay for an extended 30-minute discussion about all things Washington. Obviously, we'll check up on the status of the war between Israel and Hamas. We'll talk about uh, Biden's conversation with uh, Netanyahu and all things D.C. with Bob. As always, that's incredibly informative. Uh, We'll go deeper with him because we have more time. And lastly, at 1030, predictions. What is going to happen in 2024? I'll go through my list and I'll take your suggestions. We put out the call on Twitter this week and got a bunch of responses. We'd love to hear yours. We'd love to hear your stories. Uh, give me a shout at 244-1777 and your email, vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. First up, the year in review. The biggest, the best stories of the year. What provoked you? What drove you crazy? What inspired you? To help us along the way on this journey, we're joined by political consultant and digital strategy expert, Joanna Grossman. She runs her own campaign management and digital organizing agency called JG Digital Underground. She knows a lot about politics and all things Vermont uh, from a way different perspective than me. And that's why I asked her to join us. And she joins us now. Joanna, welcome to the show. Good morning. And thanks for that lovely introduction. I'm excited to be here. Okay, we have a long list to get through for our year in review. Uh, Listeners out there, just imagine that Joanna and I are sitting around uh, the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. Uh, We're not, but uh, through the magic of technology, it it kind of feels that way. Uh, We're going to have some fun, uh, not take everything too seriously, but obviously a lot of serious stories out there. But uh, if you want to give us a call, 244-1777, as I said, we put out a request for help on Twitter this uh, week, and we got a lot back. Housing, climate change, elections, flooding. Uh, we'll try to break this into sort of a Vermont year in review, and we'll do national stories as well. But, Joanna, what what's the top story in your mind for this year, this past year? I mean, the very top story in my mind is definitely um, the unhoused crisis and by extension, the housing crisis. That was just, you know, the nonstop theme and crisis all year. And it had different manifestations, both during session, after session in the fall. It's been just the nonstop topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, in the middle of the legislative session, the the legislature decided and the governor agreed uh, to end the temporary housing program. Uh, and that put people on the street. There's no two ways about it. And uh, they they the legislature passed a hundred million dollar housing bill. But you've still got people. And it's not just the unhoused. 
it's 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 young people trying to buy a house. It's it's anybody moving here trying to rent an apartment, uh, and it and it sort of goes deep into the kind of marrow of the political debate in this state. Yeah, it's really been, I feel like it's permeated like every other story and every piece of the political ecosystem this year, like from, you know, from the way it manifested during the session with a lot of frustration and new activism rising around that to the forced veto session, which was really fascinating. Um, And then even into the Burlington elections in the fall, you know, it's just been, it's been everywhere. And living in Burlington, I can tell you, like, I know a lot of people who are trying to find housing. It is very real on every end. So take us to Burlington. Uh, how does that, how does that, how do you deal with that in real life? I mean, y- y- everyone's talking about public safety and housing. I kind of think of those things together. I mean, if people, you know, and we've had Sarah George on this show many times. And you, you just, if you can't find a place to live, if you're battling addiction, mental health issues, uh, it just seems to me that the the housing has got to be the first step towards a better life, old, whether you're older or, or new or young or whatever. And I think also that it 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 uh, what's it, this is the sleeper issue for me this year, which is young people starting to disconnect from the political discourse because they're just kind of bummed out about being unable to buy a house, rent an apartment. Uh, get child care uh, or stop paying enormous uh, monthly fees for health care insurance. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's been, it really, you know, I've seen it manifest in all different ways here in Burlington. I, I totally agree. We really can't solve the public safety crisis until we take on housing and harm reduction as well. Um, you really can see it manifest with the younger Vermonters here in Burlington, you know, trying to figure out if they can afford to stay. I actually talked to someone a couple of months ago who was thinking about running for a city council seat here in Burlington, and they said, I don't know if I can afford to stay in this ward. So that actually, you know, prevented them from running. So, you know, I've heard of employers who brought people here and, you know, hired them, and then they had to leave Vermont because they couldn't find housing. It just affects every piece and part of our ecosystem. Here's one for you. Um, I remember, uh, I don't have this in front of me, but I think it was a school principal or superintendent got hired uh, in the Barry school district. And he and his family lived in a motel in central Vermont for months uh, because they couldn't find a place to live. And they event- he eventually gave up the job and went back where he came from because they just couldn't find housing. Oh, yeah, I've definitely heard of stories like that, too. And actually, I mean, it dovetails into one of the other huge stories of the year, the flooding, and how in addition to, like, the flooding being a huge crisis of its own in so many ways, it also further reduced our housing inventory. Yeah, okay, story number two, uh, flooding. Yeah, flooding in July, which just killed Montpelier where I where I spend most of my time um, and then yeah all of the sort of impacts that it had on business shutting down all of downtown Montpelier for months weeks and months and then you're right big impact on housing people's houses got flooded if you if you drive into Montpelier on route two past the 
dairy cream, you know, it was all just houses were underwater and that just has a ripple effect and it just makes the housing market tighter and tighter. Yeah, the, I mean, the housing story also, I mean, the flooding story, sorry, I don't think that we've seen anywhere close to the last of that. I mean, obviously, the session, the legislative session is going to be dealing with a lot of the after effects for that, too. And I also, you know, I hear more and more people talking about, well, why didn't we do more mitigation since Irene wasn't that long ago? So I think the reverberations from flooding are going to just go on and on. You know, we, we did a lot of flooding uh, stuff on the show. We took the show live into lots of flooded out communities. And I'll tell you what I heard, and this goes back to what I was saying about young people kind of getting really down about the political system is that people said to me, business owners, coffee shops, bookstore owners, they all looked at me and said, you know, where was the national guard? Where was the government uh, to help us? You know, people were bailing out their basements with sort of volunteer high school kids completely untrained, no protective equipment, no masks. And there there was just a general sense that we together did not have our act together when it comes to a disaster like that and that we should have. Does that make ring a bell with you? Absolutely. I actually, I was in New York during the World Trade Center disaster, and I was really struck with the difference in, you know, response on the part of the government. Like in New York, we really had this very strong, aggressive, coordinated response. And I definitely felt like in Vermont, we weren't prepared, like we didn't, you know, there weren't notifications, there wasn't plans in place. And yeah, I mean, the the fallout has just been just staggering. I mean, so many people's lives have been ruined over this. It's just, it's such a tragedy and we really have to do better this time around. Um, you know, I was reading, uh, I've got it in front of me. Uh, the, the flooding obviously leads us into climate change, another big issue. And I was reading uh, climate writer and ex- activist Bill McKibben the other day, and he, he said, said something that stuck with me. And I think this is a big story. Uh, in, in all of the stories, counting down the big stories of the of this year, McKibben said he's he's not noticing a lot of discussion of climate change, and he says I we can't quite wrap our collective head around what climate change is. Never been more clear to me than these waning days of this year, because the most important thing that happened this year was the heat, by far hotter than it's ever been, both in Burlington. Uh, that's a story in Digger just today, uh, and in the in the world, Canada burned, filling the air our, and our cities with smoke. And yet, you really wouldn't know it, according to Kibben, from reading the wrap-ups of the year's news now appearing on one website and another. I think he's got. I think he's onto something there. It's like, does our, do we collectively have the ability, whether it's housing, or climate resilience and flooding, to to act in a way, you know, does our political system have the ability to act uh, to deal with this stuff? Or have we reached in our politics a place where we just can't really solve these problems anymore? I know a lot of people are asking that question. What do you think? I think that's a great question. You know, it, it reminded me a little of how, like, when I run campaigns, I sometimes talk about a concept I call contrived urgency where like if, you know, the election day is months and months from now, like people don't seem to feel like the need to volunteer or, 
you know, give right away. So we try to create urgency and that's how, and I apologize for this. <laughs> that's how you get all these, like, you have to give to this, you know, quarterly fundraising deadline right now. Um, so, you know, that's like how campaigns sort of handle that same problem, which we have in a much, much, much larger incubation with climate change. People kind of feel like, oh, it's this thing over there. They're not connecting it to the flooding or the fires or all the things that are affecting our day-to-day -day life. And, we just, as humans, seem to have some, like, scary cognitive dissonance around that and are unable to connect it. And until we can create, I think, what might have to be some sort of contrived urgency around climate change, I don't know, you know, if we're going to be able to act. It, and I actually I find that frightening. You know, I have a kid, and I definitely want her future to be climate safe, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Okay. I've got one for you, Joanna. Uh, that just popped into my head. I didn't have it on my list. Becca Ballant, uh, the former uh, state senator from Wyndham County, was president of the Vermont Senate, uh, ran what at the beginning looked like an uphill campaign for Congress, and she runs away uh, with the race against uh, her opponent, Molly Gray, to become the first woman to represent Vermont in Congress. I think that's a big story. I mean, what a coup. Like, that was really an incredible race to witness. And I think Vermont <laughs> really hadn't seen that kind of campaign with that kind of intensity for a while. Um, I can tell you, like, running a statewide campaign on the same ticket at the same time and, like, being kind of alongside that was a really fascinating experience. I have so much respect for both of those women um, and just sort of watching the state political infrastructure sort of, I don't know, like split apart and take sides was very intense. And I think really new to Vermonters who I, in my finding are a little bit conflict diverse. So yeah, it was pretty incredible to observe. And I mean, Becca is, is so amazing and she sort of has this Vermonters love, like, I, I don't want to take away from her like really true amazingness when I say this, but Vermonters sort of love a cult of personality, too. And she's a real personality. She's a really, really amazing, has kind of a star quality kind of person. And I got to say, uh, as I followed her in her first year, she has not shot. One thing I've noticed is that she has not become, um, I don't think, risk averse and kind of vanilla uh, she's kept she's kept true to her personality. Obviously, you know you, you you're now a politician and you've got to behave and you've got to do things a little differently. But uh, I think she's kept true to her personality. Do I? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think so. I've I've thought a lot about that actually. It's interesting. She's really leaned into the D trips like style of aggressive digital fundraising and. As someone who does a lot of that myself, you know, I, I see that. Um, I've also, it's it's a really interesting combination of her taking up real issues that are very important to Vermonters and then also getting involved in some of the, like, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say lighter stuff because it's not lighter, it's serious, but some of the, like, bigger stories like, you know, the Santos story. And, and actually, we could talk about that separately, too, and seeing her engage on those things as well. It's been pretty interesting to see how she's serving. Yeah, she introduced the resolution to uh, censure Marjorie Taylor Greene, which, uh, you know, for a first-year member of Congress, that surprised me. 
Um, and you're right. She has leaned into uh, listeners out there. Don't worry about the jargon. The D trip is shorthand for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. And I get fundraising uh, emails from Becca Ballant all the time. Kind of irritates me. But uh, I know this is the system we live in. But I, do you get? I assume you get those emails too, Joanne. Yeah, I get them a lot, and it's you know I get you may be in this boat too, but like I get a lot of um, I get a lot of almost daily emails from electeds in other states too, and she's really the only one that does quite that style of fundraising here. So that's been an interesting pivot to see how the state adjust to that and if if we're ready for that or not but i mean she's raising money so i assume we are (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um okay another big story and it's gonna be well let's i'm gonna leave him till later how about ai so seems to me that whether you're writing a press release or a performance review or whatever you suddenly uh, don't have to spend two hours writing the first draft. You just tell JetGPT to do it. And there's an upside uh, to AI, but it, it clearly is a huge story in Vermont and nationally. It's going to change the way we work, and I'm not sure we know exactly what's coming. Oh, yeah. So ChatGPT was on my list, too, and, I yeah, it's totally – taken over i know like in my work you all hear people all the time saying like oh i just had chat gbt like write this tweet for me and um it's been kind of interesting i haven't i'm curious what you think kevin like i personally haven't found a ton of use for it every time i ask it to write something for me it's it's not really what i wanted but (laughs) but um it's good at coming up with hashtags just a little pro tip there um yeah, yeah. My daughter loves to like interact with some of the weird like chat GBT or not chat GBT, but other AI um, like literary bots because she's a reading nut. Um, yeah, it's just it's everywhere. I am interested to see how it unfolds next year. There's not a single like online tool or app right now that doesn't have some new AI plugin in it. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, the Hollywood strike uh, was was in large part about uh, putting guardrails around ChatGPT, uh, the UAW strike against the car companies, same thing. There, you know, th- th- we're seeing, and I saw Bernie Sanders put out a a, a big uh, piece the other day about the year, and it was he felt it was the year of workers uh, hitting back against all of these tools that are being used to lower their pay and make make workers irrelevant. Uh, and a lot of it's about AI, and a lot of it's about these companies uh, using AI to get more efficient and boost profits, and it hurts workers for sure. Yeah, that I mean, the strike in general brought up so many interesting change, like changes to the writing industry and technology. I was really fascinated at the piece of it that had to do with how since most TV shows are streaming now, their seasons are shorter. And so, you know, writers have a different and much more limited role on the shows and aren't able to grow into, you know, the industry as much. I thought that was another really interesting facet of the the strike. Yeah, that was really game changing. And, and, and here's another one uh, from courtesy of the VT Viewpoint film and TV critic, Keenan Ellis, who was on the show 
uh, early uh, on Wednesday, uh, was it? I think it was last week. He told me last night, uh, get ready for a streaming uh, desert because the Hollywood strike uh, meant that a lot of projects did not get off the board and there were not a lot of new shows and not a lot of new movies. So we're going to have a six-month period here where after dinner you're going to sit down and look at Netflix and you're not going to have – you're going to go back to old stuff because there's not going to be a lot of new stuff as a result of that strike which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, that's harsh. I didn't want to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, before we go, here's another one. Uh, Noah Kahn of Drafford, Vermont, where I used to live. He was a neighbor of mine. I I know his parents. Nominated for a Grammy for Best New Artist. Are you a Noah Kahn fan? I'm just not that familiar, to be perfectly honest, but it's exciting. You know these. You you know you urban types. You got to get out in the. You got to get out in the country and listen to the music of, of the the country folk. There's a little bit of truth to that. It's. Did you know that? I we're like getting a little off topic here, but did you know that half the roads in Vermont are dirt roads? I did not know that until I ran a statewide campaign, and it, it, it can be very jarring for someone who drives a Prius. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. I did know that about the dirt roads, and we drive drive the Prius anyway. Okay, quickly, 30 seconds. Here's another one. Uh, Completion of the – speaking of city versus country, completion of the Lamoille Valley Rail Trail, 95 miles across the state of pure bicycle bliss. It's fantastic. Uh, It's been almost completed. That's a big story. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. That's amazing. Yeah, you can stop, you can bike across the state and have a beer at a brewery right on the trail and then get and a barbecue sandwich and then get back on. Okay, uh, Joanna, I forgot a Vermont story that we got from Twitter, which I actually agree with, which is uh, Hunger-Free Vermont's Universal School Meals victory in that campaign in the last legislative session. So now... I think it's, it seems to me that every kid, regardless of income, in Vermont gets uh, breakfast and lunch at not just public schools, but all schools. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, there were, a, there were a, a few really incredible legislative accomplishments this past session. I mean, the school meals was amazing. The child care bill was amazing. Um, and it, it was an interesting session because there were like these big stars that did kind of shove a lot of other stuff off the legislative agenda, which is, I think, partly how we ended up with the veto session. But um, but yeah, those two accomplishments are so wonderful and really will, you know, really, really improve the lives of a lot of Vermonters. It's really special. Yeah. OK, now we got to switch gears and we I'm going to say two words to you and just have you react. Donald Trump. (laughs) I feel like I really wish that I had appreciated the reduced Trump media ecosystem while we had it. (laughs) I didn't really realize that we had a little break until he came back with so much force. I feel like the Trump story has like so many mini stories within it. Um, Obviously he's got like all his legal problems going on now. He's got like all kinds of trials happening left, right and center in a million different States. Um, But the, the, one of the 
smaller, I wouldn't say smaller, actually, but the more subtle things that I keep thinking about whenever I think about Trump is that he really lowered the discourse, the political discourse across the board. And I'm seeing a lot of the poor behaviors that he illustrated the first time around being echoed on the left now. And I that the, the bar is sort of lower for knowing what you're talking about before you talk about it. And that's I, I feel like I'm just saying, get off my lawn a little bit. But I do think it's true. And it's something, you know, I, I want people to be thinking about as they post. And then there's the most recent breaking stories as of yesterday of just states knocking him off the ballot, which is incredible and not something I expected to see. Yeah, I I. I... I just I don't know where to take it anymore. It is, uh, yeah, it's the it's the criminal cases, it's the impeachment, it's the now not getting knocked off the ballot. Um, I I gotta say I'm about the. It's worth talking about this. The the fourteen the the reason Maine just knocked him off the ballot. Colorado did the same. Michigan decided not to take up the case. What they're talking about is the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution. Section three that says that a federal office holder cannot hold office uh, if they were part of an insurrection that was clearly targeted, targeted at Confederates uh, to keep uh, former Confederates out of the government after the Civil War. And the question is, does this apply to Trump? And I, you got to ask yourself, do you was Trump part of an insurrection? Uh, and if you watch that speech, uh a lot of people disagree, but we're going to have to hash this out, which gets to my biggest prediction of the year, which is the election of 2024 is going to be a doozy. How do you <laughs> how, how do you talk about Trump? Um, it, it's it's I know it, it's it's so hard to even uh, make uh, may, uh, uh, put the issues in some sort of order so you can rationally talk about it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's well put. I'm sitting here kind of like shaking my head, just like, oh, gosh, like, I mean, there's, I just can't believe we're back to this. I am, I am really intrigued and impressed by the activism of some of the secretaries of state that are, are um, working on that. And I, I do agree with their assessment, but I also, it's a very fine line. And I, you know, I'm glad it's not up to me, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, it's, I do think the 2024 election is going to be really challenging. I don't think we're going to have a ton of races here in Vermont, but at the same time, those that are running are going to have to deal with incredible noise at the top of the ticket that they have to break through. And that can be really challenging if you're just running for, you know, state Senate, which is a really important thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, oh, I, here's the big question I want to ask you. Um, I get hammered on this all the time. Stop talking about Trump. It just gives him oxygen. Uh, don't talk about it. Uh, the New York Times should not be writing so many stories about Trump. It just makes him more powerful. Where do you come down on that issue of uh, do, you, do you write about it or don't write about it? Yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about this, too, actually. And I thought about it a lot during his first term. I guess I feel like it's got to have more than just Trump to the story, you know, and I do, I do think all the media outlets um, get excited about the, you know, just the intrinsic clickbait of Trump being in the headline. I mean, if there's, if there's protein to the story, there's protein to the story and you've got to write it. If there's important news, like the ballots are a really perfect example, 
you know, but something about that he said at a rally is not necessarily something that we need to be taking up colleges with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. National stories, biggest one for you this year? Oh, man. Biggest story nationally. I mean, it would have to be the war in Gaza, which has been so tragic. And it was really, obviously, it's it's completely horrifying in every way. And then that Burlington had this kind of little echo of it with this horrible shooting right down the street from me. It's, it's just been just devastating and heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, it's yeah, the 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 shooting of three young Palestinian uh, young guys of Palestinian descent uh talking around Thanksgiving, chatting as they're walking down the street, uh wearing the Palestinian scarf, um it really brought it home and and forced us it seems to me, at least it did me out of the that sort of tribal, like, are you for, like, which side are you on? Now you're realizing that everyone here is a a victim at at some level, both in the, in the uh, October terrorist attack by Hamas. And then you've got these Palestinian guys, one of whom is never going to walk again, as far as I can, as far as I know, um, yeah, it's just brutal. And, um, you, you know, I have a daughter-in-law who's from Egypt and, you know, I, so I just, I see this from all sides and, uh, I, I don't know, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, where's the leadership? I don't know. I'm thinking of Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Václav Havel back in the velvet revolution days. I mean, somebody's got to speak up here and, and make a peace proposal. Uh, I don't know where yeah. it goes, though. Yeah, it's, you know, I, it's just there is kind of a tragedy of leadership on both sides of the blockade. That is just, I mean, it's what created the situation and what is what continuing to fan the flames. Just devastating. I do agree, like, someone's got to step in. I have no idea who that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, here's uh, here's one for you. Uh, speech. Uh, you've got the presidents of three uh, Ivy League universities uh, walked into what I call, to use an old CIA term, a honey trap uh, set by uh, the Republican Congresswoman uh, Elaine Stefanik, saying, "Do you, you know, do, does it violate your policies when uh, when students call for?" Uh, the uh, the killing of of Israelis uh, on campus, and uh, it seems to me uh, the, both those pres- all those presidents uh, sort of failed at uh, doing a good job in answering the question. One of whom resigned, uh, and then the president of Harvard almost got fired over it. Where are we going with this speech on college campuses? Yeah, it's, I mean, that whole display was just, I mean, I felt embarrassed for the Ivy League, honestly, like it was, I I mean, I'm Jewish, full disclosure, but I really just like couldn't believe that they couldn't articulate even a lack of empathy for the situation, I think is what, you know, that day my phone was just blowing up. And I think the shock was so much, not just about speech, but about the lack of general concern for people's well-being and 
you know, threats to their lives and the lives of their whole peoples. And, and that I found just really shocking. You know, the question of free speech is a good one. I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a code of conduct for, you know, a, an enclosed university environment where everybody's together. I don't know. It's a big one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's huge. Um, and I just, whoever those universities hired to prepare those presidents, whether it was a law firm or a communications firm, like the kind of work you and I've done for so many years, uh, big fail because uh, those questions could have been answered in a lot better way. And they just, they just didn't do a good job. Um, I just couldn't imagine, like, you know, I've prepped so many candidates for debates, and I, I just can't imagine how they dehumanized it so extremely. Like, to not express any empathy or concern as a human was, was pretty shocking. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, here's a sleeper. Um, COVID. Uh, I think COVID is it seems like everybody I talk to has it. Uh, they either have the flu or they've got COVID. Um, it continues to stress our healthcare system. It has rearranged the way we work. It's disrupted the economy, especially in the commercial real estate business. You got still got buildings in downtown Burlington that are empty that for my money should be converted to housing, but people don't want to go to work uh, to an office cubicle anymore. And it just continues to sort of reveal uh, problems in the way we've built this society in the last, I don't know, 30 years. Yeah, I think the um, observation that it's changed how we work is really astute. I mean, it's been, you know, it's funny, like I, before the pandemic, I used to use zoom for tech support stuff and some of my work and i remember during the pandemic suddenly everybody is like setting up their zoom accounts and i remember thinking zoom isn't really ready for this <laughs> it just like wasn't quite you know right. at the at the level that we needed and it's kind of starting to catch up but in general yeah like it's it's so interesting to see how like if you're trying to gather folks for like an in-person meeting now it just feels completely overwhelming to everybody what we have to like get there physically and i'll be in the same room <laughs> It's just it has yeah. changed how we work forever. So I'm I'm on a board in Central Vermont, and and uh, we are still meeting via Zoom because getting people to come to Barry from Waterbury on for a five o'clock two hour meeting at five o'clock in the afternoon is too disruptive. They uh, people don't want to do it. They just won't. And it, we tried to do it. Uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, partially remote, partially in person. The technology doesn't work when the little owl is on the top of your computer trying to follow who's talking. You know, technology isn't ready for that. And so we just went back to we just went back to Zoom. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been totally interesting. I, I feel like there's like it's created both pros and cons in the work life balance department, because now I feel like, oh, yeah, I really can pack like eight meetings in a row in a way that I really couldn't before if I had to go to eight different places. So on the one hand, it's kind of created more work for us or the possibility of more work for us. But at the same time, you know, we get to be in our pajamas. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Joanna, what are we missing? What's what are what other big stories are we missing here? story is one Vermont and one national. So going back to the beginning of the year, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but going back to the beginning of the year, I noticed um, I feel like dry January went pro this year. And it was like suddenly everybody was doing dry January. I wonder if that led to the misery that it sailed for the rest of the year. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. You'll have to edge. You, are you talking about dry January being, uh, you don't drink alcohol during January? Correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, not a thing in my life at all, but it must be in yours. Oh yeah. That's so funny. So it was like suddenly everybody I knew was doing dry January and, and then we became legal this year too. So I, I feel like that might be related. <laughs> oh, there's a huge miss. Um, yeah, we forgot to. Yeah, the legalization of what I call marijuana. But um, yeah, that's a huge one. I mean, you know, every I, I we drove across the country and I'm in California and there's a weed shop in in every town, practically. Everywhere. It's I mean, they are popping up on every corner in Burlington. It is wild. And as a parent, it's a tricky thing to navigate that this changed right under our feet, you know. So we're trying to have these thoughtful and intentional conversations about it. But it's tricky and you know, there's actually not a ton of resources out there about how to handle that yet. Yeah, that was a big discussion about okay, in the legislature, I remember I was part of it actually. When you when you legalize this, uh and people are now driving under the influence or they've got it in the house around the kids. And, you know, how are we going to, where are the resources to educate people about the downside of this? And yeah, it's, but that's a huge story, huge change in the economy. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And then there's another story, Kevin, that all the news junkies in Vermont are really going to care about. And that was the VT Digger rebrand. Oh, my God. Okay. As a former board member of VT Digger, huge issue. The the rebrand, the, the new website of Vermont Digger, some people – and then you can you can sort of partner that with the, the, uh, the, the rebrand of Vermont Public. Uh, oh, right. From Vermont, Pub, from Vermont Public Radio. I don't think I've ever heard uh, more angry sort of – over 60-year-old uh, VPR listeners, boy, they were angry. But both the re- VT Digger rebrand and the VPR name change, huge stories, right? They really were. Like, people were enraged. And it was, I mean, I just found it really comical. Like, people were just so upset about these two things. And I didn't hear anyone talking about, like, the quality of coverage or, you know, like the Vermont press corps in general, it was these two very superficial things about the media. And I was like, hmm, we want to think about how we're having that conversation. Yeah. It's uh, the, I, I found the, um, I found the VPR thing it, it, it just all engrossing actually uh, that, that people got upset about it. I, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed uh, there were a lot bigger things to care about. Okay. What about, of the United States Supreme Court. Oh man, I mean, it is so tragic to see the deterioration of this pivotal institution. I mean, it's literally one of the core checks and balances of the nation. 
And I mean, seeing it degrade, really starting with the row leak last year, um, it's or the Dodge week, I guess I should say. I mean, it's just seems it's just going downhill nonstop. And it, it's, it's always scary to me when something undermines our institutions in that way, you know, because it, it, it hinders our ability to be a democratic nation. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and, and I think it's important to take political ideology out of this discussion and talk about the court. You talk about the leak of the, of the Dobbs decision, you know, that's, that's not, politically based uh, at, at its core, it's just the fact that a case was leaked beforehand, right? Right, right. That's exactly what I mean. So, like, yeah, we had a leak and, you know, all the other things we're learning about. Like, it's just, it just seems to be nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, and, and isn't that, I don't know, maybe we can end on this, like, maybe the biggest issue uh, biggest story of the year, which we're not dealing with very well, all of us, I think, is democracy itself, whether it's Supreme Court, the inability of the United States Congress to do anything, um, to pass a budget, and, uh, you know, stacked next to Vermont, which does a pretty darn good job. Uh, our, our institutions of government uh, that govern us just seem to be not working. Maybe that's the big story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with any luck, we'll get better at it. So let's end on a hopeful note. Um, I think, you know, there's, I'm just, I I just think there's, there's, there's hope we, if we all, we got to band together and do a better job in 2024. Joanna Grossman, this has been great. We'll do it again. And, uh, We'll get better as we go. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Okay. Another break. We're going to come back with Bob May. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. My thanks to Joanna Grossman. That's a blast. 